What are cryptocurrencies? Hey, hey, hey. What are NFTs? A non-fungible token. Time to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin just seems like a scam. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, Bitcoin? Hello everyone, welcome back to On The Ledger. This is your host Moel Said, and I'm back once again on your weekly rendezvous from Paris. It's safe to assume that half the world, maybe you too, first heard about cryptocurrencies and blockchains in 2017. And you know, as an obvious result, the demand for cryptocurrency saw an incredible rise. But then everyone realized that existing blockchains were not quite ready for the party to start yet, let alone being prepared for the hundreds of millions of people that were to join in the next four years. So what happened? Research, experimentations, and implementations to make blockchains more scalable, decentralized, and of course, secure. Elrond is one such project that was developed in 2017 to meet the rising demand of blockchains and solve frictions related to transaction speed and gas fees. With its currency eGold, the project is ready right in time for Web3 prime time. And you know what else is ready in time? eGold's ledger integration. Yes, you heard that right. The Elrond community is now able to manage eGold directly from within the security of their hardware device. To discuss this, we're pleased to have Benjamin Minku, founder and CEO of Elrond Network. We'll be joined by a man that you probably know. He's a regular on the podcast, but we haven't seen him in a while. The giga brain behind our integrations, Fabrice Dotria, Ledger's head of platform. Benjamin, Fabrice, welcome to On The Ledger. How's everything going? Hello, guys. Uh, really, really great to be here and have this conversation. So really great to connect. Thank you, Mo, for inviting me again. Uh, great to be here and uh, super pleased to discuss with Benjamin today. Yeah, I'm actually quite excited about this. So let's jump right into it. On the Ledger Season 2, Ledger meets Errand. Here we go. Let's start from the beginning. Benjamin, Errand, actually, like we said in the introduction, uh, was born in 2017. Um, to solve certain frictions that were already, you know, quite present in the ecosystem back then. Could you maybe talk to us a little bit more about the Elrond story um, and explain the project to someone who has probably never heard of it? Sure. So the the core idea with Elrond um, goes a bit to to um, my history in the in the blockchain space. Namely, I've been in the space for a long time. Um, with, together with my brother. Um, first of all, I, I've been part of the name core team in 2014. Then together with my brother, we essentially had a fund through which we invested in, in the most relevant and what we thought were the most important architectures at that time. Um, and this was 2016 and 2017. Um, and it became clear to us that despite this um interesting market that was developing the core problem the problems that we've discovered uh were actually not addressed in a meaningful or compelling way and um, more specifically the two key problems that we've discovered that had to be addressed in order for us to see a widespread global adoption of blockchain technology were first a transition from dial-up to broadband so a very significant improvement in, in scalability that would enable people to, to essentially transfer um, at the scale and speed and cost of the internet any type of assets. Um, and second of all, a huge UX simplifications 
simplification similar to that of the browser moment in the early internet days. So with this insights in mind after uh, maybe seeing everything that was being built in the space, um, being up to date with uh, the entire academic literature and the different approaches, um, and seeing that the solution was nowhere near to coming to fruition, um, we've essentially um, gathered a team with which we can literally build rockets and started working um, on, on Elrond. Um, so here's where we are today with the network live, um, able to scale probably uh, better um, and, and in a more compelling way than any other architecture in the space. And so I'm happy to dive even deeper, but I still believe that the core fundamental obstacles that we need to address are one, um, transition from dial-up to broadband in terms of blockchain performance, and second, a huge paradigm shift in UX simplification. This is why Elrond exists, and our goal is to onboard the next billion people in the space. Because if we can do this, then everyone will get to play a different kind of game, whether it's partners like Ledger and, and so forth, or all the other partners that, that we have. Uh, we really believe that uh, things could change uh, significantly. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. And you've actually managed to build a rocket and it's called eGold and it's now available in Ledger Live. Uh, so Fabrice, uh, maybe you could tell us what that means uh, from a UX standpoint for the community. Yeah, sure. Um, maybe if we if we just take a step back and, and, and see what happened uh, in terms of timeline. Uh, we we started working with the Elron team quite a while ago, I think. Uh, I can't remember the exact date, but it's probably like 2018, 19, maybe. Um, and the first thing they did is they designed their uh, the application that is running on the hardware wallet. Uh, and at the time, that was only only one application, simple one. Um, and then they made it compatible with uh, uh, with the web wallet that is out there. Uh, if I'm correct, uh, wallet.everyone.com. Uh, at least this one works, but maybe there are others I'm not aware of. Uh, and basically what you could do at the time is manage your assets uh, directly through this web app using your Ledger device. Uh, now, the next step, uh, and it's an obvious step for us, uh, and I hope it, it's becoming more and more obvious for, for many people in this industry, it was to bring the Eagle token directly within Ledger Live. Um, the reason why for us it's important is because we have the same objective as Benjamin. Uh, we also want to improve the UX and bring crypto to, to you know, I would say normal users, uh, to my to my sister, for instance. That's really uh, what's driving us day to day. Uh, and we believe we can do a great job with Ledger Live. That's not to say that the ROM team is making a bad job, because if you look at what they do with MyR, for instance, it's an amazing job. Um, but the reason why we think also Ledger Live is interesting is because we provide two things that are fairly important in our opinion. Uh, Self-custody, you're self-custodying your assets and you have multiple blockchains. So by adding Eagle to this bucket of blockchains that are already supported, we are creating this hub where basically you can manage all the crypto you want from a single place. And on top of that, uh, we will add many other features like the ability to buy tokens or swap them. And uh, maybe we can talk later about this, but uh, there are more incoming. Right now, you can only send and receive Eagle tokens, uh, but uh, 
I know the Aeron team is already working on the on the next steps. And maybe just one more thing to add, because it's not obvious in the way you, you said it, Mo, but yes, uh, Eagle is integrated in Ledger Live, but actually the Elrond team did it. That That's really the point here. It's really important to remember. Uh, Ledger was here for guidance, for assistance, but the entire work was performed by the Elrond team, uh, by Lucien and, and all the engineers behind him. So uh, really, I'm super pleased to be to be discussing with you today because it's the first. It's the first integration that was entirely made by another team. Uh, and so for us, Ledger, it's a it's the next step that we are uh, that we are showing in, in you know the way we want to to work with the ecosystem. It's opening the door of Ledger Live to to any crypto project. So super happy to to have you on board, guys. And uh, and we'll talk about the the future improvements coming. I hope in the next questions. Yeah, I, I would say a few things. So we've had a lot of conversation with you guys, and and I remember um, us just pushing here and there, like looking for any way we could just to interact, to find a way to integrate things and, and so forth. And I remember um, Lucian's discussions with the team and so forth, and um, the fact that uh, one really proactive way would be to uh, really move forward and develop everything because then we would make um, everything even simpler and the conversation could go a lot smoother and, and so forth. So um, it's awesome to see what you guys are doing um, in terms of hardware wallets and, and so forth. And I cannot um, overstate how difficult it is to actually build something that doesn't break um, 100 times a day especially when it comes to storing your wealth, um, especially when it comes to a hardware wallet. So um, great stuff uh, on that. Uh, keep keep pushing. A great milestone for uh, your community and our community. And definitely looking forward to, to all the um, steps that are coming. Um, our, our engineering team is always um, hungry and willing to push uh, new standards. Uh, so so quite quite exciting, excited and happy about that. I love that. And I, I feel like now that we have the infrastructure and the protocols that are becoming more you know, scalable, and at the same time, we have the hardware that enables people to access these technologies, we're you know, reaching a new phase uh, in, in the world of blockchain and crypto. And you, 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 know, you use this term, internet scale blockchain, a lot, Benjamin. Uh, what does it mean to have an internet scale blockchain? The the core idea here um, is is this: you basically can immediately understand that with seven or fifteen transactions per second, you could never have global adoption. Right? There's absolutely no way um, that you could see this type of um, throughput being able to accommodate global usage. So it's almost that whenever you use global transaction throughput and then seven or 15 transactions per second it's almost like you're intentionally taking an idea to the absurd right uh, because it's so obvious but this is the state we're in and um, i would say that it's really great that we've made these steps that without bitcoin without ethereum and so forth we would probably not be here we would not have these conversations and and so forth but then if you think about it, in order to really see widespread adoption in terms of, let's say, a large 
significant part of the global population using this technology, uh, whether it's just crypto, whether it's stable coins, whether it's NFTs and so forth, you need at least tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of transactions per second to be able to accommodate this and start making the scalability problem literally irrelevant. Because after that point, you can really focus on what you actually want to build and not on the um, performance, the missing uh, or large fees and, and so forth. So at the end of the day, with Elrond, we wanted to scale beyond 10,000 transactions per second. But given that we've built the architecture on adaptive state sharding and secure proof of stake, which are two fundamental technologies, uh, we can actually scale beyond hundreds of thousands of transactions per second in a very, very um, energy effective way. And we're now even carbon neutral at this point, especially for people looking um, at that um, angle and, and so forth. So um, I do think there's no way of shortcutting this. However you look at things, you need scalability and everything we've seen in the ecosystem is just a reflection of that. What happens when you don't have scalability and you need to overpay, create other things, different shortcuts, but at the end of the day, you're just going in circles until you can solve the core problem. And this has been our focus and we're quite excited because everything that Ethereum wanted to build in Ethereum 2.0 We've actually solved and published since um, the beginning of 2018, um, mid-2018, we actually had the prototype running and Elrond was the first architecture to demonstrate that you can really build adaptive state sharding and secure proof of stake and move them from theory to practice. So um, yeah, quite, quite excited about all of this. It's a very interesting point what you're saying because it's a shift in paradigm if you think of it. Because most people were using, you know, cryptocurrencies as a store of value, but now that you have the scalability, it could, you know, start being used as a medium of exchange in a lot of different contexts. Fabrice, from a hardware standpoint, what does this change for Ledger when you think of it? It, it changes some things and, and some other things I, I think remain the same because uh, the I would say the core value proposition is still to be the owner of your wealth. You are in control. Um, having a secure hardware wallet, uh, owning basically uh, your seed, your 24 words, is still the basis. It's the foundation on, on which we, we, we all believe in this, and that's why this industry exists, basically. Um, so the hardware wallet and the security of the seed will remain super relevant in the future. I'm convinced about this. Now, if if it's not just to store value and basically it's, it's not just to, to huddle uh, for several years, then the hardware wallet will need to adapt um, in, in many different ways, I think. Uh, first of all, if you need to use it every day, you will want more, con you will want more convenience. Uh, maybe you will want you know easy access to basically just tap and pay and not having to connect, reconnect, enter a pin and do crazy things like this that takes time. Um, maybe you want to have some threshold on your transaction. After a while, I want to be able to enter my pin, but for a certain amount, maybe I don't want this. So yes, in the future, and I'm not saying now, but in the future, uh, things will need to evolve. Uh, I know at Ledger, we're 
we're thinking about all this and wondering what could be the, the next steps. Um, but on, on the purely technical level, um, these new protocols, they, they offer many more ways to interact. It's not just send, uh, you know, coins now. It's managed tokens. It's uh, minting NFTs. It's a lot of many different operations. It's staking also in the, in, in, for everyone specifically. Um, and all of these operation types, um, they have an impact on the Hublot wallet behind them because you need to be able to process these transactions. And so I, for everyone right now, we don't have such problems, but who knows, maybe in the future, it will become more and more complex and the transaction times will become you know, really, really complicated to, to handle. And having security in the Hublot wallet that we have today, we are limited in terms of, of memory. Many of our users are complaining about this. That's why we're also launching a new device to, to increase the memory and to, to provide better options. So my answer would be hardware will need to evolve both in terms of performance, uh, in terms of usage and convenience, but I, I really believe it's here to stay because at the end, you still want to secure your assets uh, in the best way possible. And you don't want to give ownership to someone else. That's that's really what we're what we're all about. Yeah, 100%. And I already use my hardware wallet every day, so it's not like it's a shift for me, but I do understand that there are a lot of frictions to that um, with the current you know, uh, way things are being designed and how everything is evolving. And Benjamin, let me jump back to you know the conversation that we were having around you know everyone being one of the main layer ones at the moment. Um, but what we're seeing now is um, you know uh, the fact that most L ones are starting to be positioned differently. So you have certain use cases that are more prominent on um, you know other layer ones than others. Um, how are you thinking about this? Like, what's your take on it? Do you think that um, each L1 will have its own kind of value proposition and its own ecosystem um, when it comes to, um, you know, certain uh, functionalities and, and certain, you know, uh, technologies being developed on them? Or do you think that um, most of them will have, uh, you know, a wide variety of different ecosystems and, and things being built on them? Um, I would say that um, it's almost like if you zoom out um enough you will see three phases there's always the bootstrapping phase the intermediary phase and let's say the end state um so uh, the bootstrapping phase is pretty obvious everyone will push hard to just deliver the architecture um make sure things are live they're stable that they can scale and and so forth the intermediary state I do believe that we're going to see almost all use cases played out on almost all networks um, just because from a pragmatic stand standpoint, uh, let's say we have um, very fundamental insight ourselves, people will discover this, they'll try it out. And uh, technology is at this point open source. The mode is very much built around the community. And some of these use cases that that uh, will probably bootstrap things slowly to to a different scale, but in the end state, I would say that we're probably going to see some very um, large, I mean, orders of magnitude larger adoption on some um, core verticals uh, in a way that was literally unforeseen. And what I mean by this is we're very much 
at first looking at things in a in a very zero sum perspective um like everyone is trying to fight everyone um, everyone is just trying to steal a few users from the other people and so forth but the key insight here is that we're at the end of the day not playing a zero sum game this is a very very early inception of a market that will probably reshape everything we know about finance and uh, well beyond finance. So given that we have around um, 200 million users um, at this point in the entire ecosystem and that we're almost 8 billion people, um, you have some key parameters to give you the playing field of what really needs to be done, where the elephant really is, and with Elrond, we're, this is why we're focusing on onboarding the next billion people, because we believe that this will be the critical threshold at which everything changes, um, at which the crypto market will become the default market. And the traditional market uh, will very much look like TVs look today. I mean, some people still watch TVs, but when you have the internet, uh, it almost looks like um, it, it's too boring, too inflexible, and too inefficient to to really get entertained even and, and uh, so forth. So there are use cases. There are super exciting things like the ones we're seeing right now with DeFi, with NFTs, with DAOs. But if you look at them, they're not refined yet. Mm -hmm. They're not just yet at the point where um, you're convinced that tomorrow they're going to explode. The great part is that they're right before the point. So you could discover that you wake up and something has literally penetrated the mainstream and has changed everything. This is why uh, we're, we're pushing super hard at Elrond to unveil a few things. And... Um, once we move in on a certain vertical, we like to do it in a decisive way, mm -hmm. not merely being present, but once it's there, you should see it very clearly with, where the, the end conclusion is. I love how you're thinking about this, and it's very transparent because you know most people would answer, yeah, we're going to be everywhere. Um, do you have an idea of what that vertical might be in the future? Sure. So I do, I do believe very um, specifically that DeFi is, once you grasp the idea correctly, um, something that is already inevitable. I mean, if you think about what's the different, uh, difference about, um, between fintech and DeFi, it's precisely that fintech is essentially the UX part just front-end improvements that you've had over time, but in the back-end, you're still using 30-year-old technology, and it's almost like imagining sending an email where after you send the text, someone takes the horse and drives to the next town and delivers the message. That would be literally insane. But banking is sort of working like that on, on mainframes and kobolds and super old software. So it's only um, become possible right now that beyond the UX, which is, of course, very important, and this is what, for instance, Revolut has done, and this is what why we believe Maya will be extremely important there, you also need the 
automatization of the entire process, the core digital element of making these transfers possible. And when you can scale globally, um, enable transfers globally, um, enable super inexpensive transfers, and then do it anywhere in the world with a very simple UX, mm -hmm. this is a building block. There's absolutely no discussion around that. You can discuss about 10, thousand other use cases and there, there are some that are really big like nfts for instance uh, because we've usually been discussing a lot about finance and finance is is great this is the first largest and probably most obvious application but the most potent one the most probably subversive one and the one that i do believe will in a very surprising way, drive this to mainstream incredibly effectively is the NFT um, revolution. Just because here you have magicians that are telling a new story. It's not about like when someone tells you about money, some people love money, some people hate money. You don't really want to get into that. Crypto might, especially at first, seem a bit um, like uncomfortable and, and so forth. But art, I mean, mm -hmm. art, who doesn't love art? And so if you have the digital art and artists that could not make ends meet until yesterday, for the first time becoming millionaires, expressing these ideas and, and so forth, then you'll have a kind of cultural revolution in the making right there. The premises are there. The Let's say the fields are prepared. You have diesel gasoline everywhere and the fire is just about to um, ignite so i wonder what will happen yeah you said a lot of interesting things there but what i take away uh, from that is the common thread here is adoption through the vector of user experience and relevant culturally relevant uh, use cases um, and that is that is actually what 2021 has kind of put in motion um, and you know speaking of that um, you know what we've been doing at Ledger as well for, with Fabrice and, and the whole team is really you know you know transitioning from becoming solely about security to becoming a platform and we've also integrated um, you know uh, NFT related um, functionalities Fabrice could you speak more about that and how does becoming a platform um, differ from solely being about you know hardware security um, what's what are the like kind of future milestones there, and um, how are you thinking about that platform being built? I think the good way to see it is before we were a security company providing hardware security and and software UX and and convenience. Now we still are and and we remain a security company. That's our core value, but we would like to provide tools to others uh, so that they can build things. Uh, and basically, it relates to what you were discussing, discussing around communities. Um, to me, having Elrond in Ledger Live made by them is exactly the point. Um, it's, it's not about Ledger making everything. First of all, because we won't be able to do everything ourselves. And, and second of all, because we don't know who the next big winner will be, or big winners, because I think they will be plural. Um, by opening our technical stack to others, we give them an option 
if they want to, to basically join Ledger, but they can do it, you know, it's a la carte. Uh, you choose your, your option. You want to be in Ledger Live, you can. You just want to add Ledger support on a web app, you can. You just want to add Ledger uh, Nano X Bluetooth support on your mobile app, it's possible as well. You don't want Ledger, well, uh, sorry for your loss. It's probably a bad idea, but <laughs> everything is possible. And on top of that, we, as you know, Mo, we, we also have this new new way of integrating services uh, like you know on-ramps and, and DeFi services. So to me, um, this platform switch is really, is really about providing tools, guidelines, and, and I would like them to be uh, as simple as and frictionless as possible. Uh, so that everyone in the in the crypto industry can basically use Ledger uh, as a, as a brick to to basically build their next project. Um, so that's what the platform is about. Now, very pragmatically, what it means for Ledger Live users is they will have new blockchains, they will have probably new features, new services, and stuff like that. So it's always good for our Ledger users. But I think it's more important than that. It's really about giving options to anyone in our industry to provide security uh, for the next crypto revolution. It, I, I was discussing discussing with Charles uh, a few few days earlier. Uh, Charles is our CTO and and we we're discussing about you know um, the fact that people may may decide to use centralized services to manage their assets. Uh, and, and this is fairly depressing um, because if that's the case, then this revolution is is just bullshit. Um, so it's fairly important that Ledger uh, can can be an alternative where basically anyone can be uh, owning their own asset and being their 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 own custodian. That's really what's driving us. Um, so yes, it's about Ledger Live, of course, for us. But it's 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 more than that. It's really about security for the entire crypto industry. So sorry if if it if it looks like. A, too big, but uh, but I, I really believe it's important. You know, all of these services that have Ledger support right now, uh, including Myr and other and others, it's this is the founding zone to me. It's really what's the most important part. We provide security to the industry. And it's really anchored, you know, um, in the ethos of what you know Web three is all about. What we call Web three now, which is basically you know blockchain technology. It's digital sovereignty and being digitally sovereign. You know, owning your own keys, owning your own assets, and the future being able to own your own contracts and being able to mint your assets on these contracts. When we talk about NFTs specifically, but talking about assets, you know, the past few months have been crazy for eGold. The coin hit an all-time high in November, and it seems to be set for an interesting year ahead. Why do you think that is? There are so many things happening in your ecosystem. So I just want to give you the opportunity to tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I, I think we can um, make 2022 the best year yet. And this is what we're um, going to attempt. Uh, we're going to, of course, push on a different threads that we believe will open floodgates in this ecosystem, in this community. And um, those, those key ideas are basically, one, um, having the Mardex open and permissionless to the community so that everyone can not only start a project, but then get it listed, um, get the community around it, get liquidity, and be able to um, go from the idea 
to the uh, point where it's already liquid and already building the ecosystem and so forth. Secondly, I do believe that we're now at a kind of inflection point with respect to the tools on Elrond. So, of course, we're going to have a marathon like no other in terms of building. Um, just kickstarting and taking the ethos that the Elrond team has had and some of the community members that have already launched a lot of interesting projects, take it massive into the community because we've seen some really great projects already launching, whether it's NFT marketplaces, whether it's DEXs that are uh, preparing to, to launch right now or other tools within the ecosystem. I do believe that 2022 will be the day, uh, the, the year of the builders, the contributors, um, whether it's developers, um, NFT creators, artists, uh, or businesses from around the world. This will be their time. Um, and beyond the, let's say, DeFi thread, beyond the NFT thread that I believe has has just started in Elrond, although we've seen a lot of projects and we've seen a lot of community members and um, even really cool marketplaces, we're barely scratching the surface. And it will be an, an, an avalanche and a, a kind of super wave that uh, will lead on what something that we call the Roaring Twenties. So it's just a start of a few years that will seem incredible. Uh, when when you look at them, but it's going to be like that only because we're pushing so hard to make this happen together as as an industry and as as a project and and so forth. So um, I could not be more more excited about um, all of this. I love that. I'm loving that that whole you know positivity. Uh, it's great, and I think you know the space is just you know about to start being you know in, in in the bull phase that we call not from a financial perspective but from a technological advancement fabrice uh, maybe you could tell us about what excites you most about the future about the future um so i was late on the nft trend very late <laughs> um so now with the with the current market i think i i have some time and i can now finally look into this no i i, I kind of agree with the with what benjamin said and i think mo you are very into this as well but the next big revolution will probably be around culture uh, and not especially DeFi. DeFi is still very complex to understand for many users, uh, but you can do you can address way more people uh, through culture in all sense of the way, uh, through communities and through uh, engagement and, and feeling part of something. So this is uh, something I would I would really really uh, study in the future. But what this new trend around the DAO and very differently payment uh, is something I can see. When uh, uh, Yamin was talking about Utrust, about payment, about merchants, I totally agree. At some points, you cannot have mainstream adoption if it's not already somehow compatible with the with the legacy world. Uh, so we'll see. There will be a, a bridge or bridges uh, to allow people to pay in crypto more and more. Uh, by the way, the ledger card at some point will go out. Uh, and really, guys, I was not telling this for, uh, I was not talking about payment for that, but I just realized we are also following this trend, but it will be something big. Uh, so to me, DAO, very new, very, very early, very 
tricky and sometimes maybe a bit dangerous. Uh, payments, it's really uh, merging the, the old and the new world. Uh, so I would have a, a strong look at, uh, mm. at payment in the future, I would say. I'll add something to both of your lists that I haven't mentioned. Blockchain gaming and play to earn. I think this will be huge uh, in the next year to come. So before we tie this off, uh, I'd like to ask you one question. If you had or if you could change one thing about the Web3 space, what would it be? This is um, super interesting in, in, in a few senses. Um, so on the one hand, we can really change uh, a lot of things about Web3. Yeah, and it's just starting out. Um, and uh, we're we're specifically thinking about the the uh, things that that I I was mentioning before. But I do let's say if you were to boil down everything to one fundamental aspect, it seems like there are three core problems that one way or another we'll have to address, um, and the level of creativity and resourcefulness that will go into addressing these three problems will probably define the speed at which we're going to see the, the billion users um, that we've discussed about. Those three problems are, of course, on the one hand, fundamental performance of blockchain architecture. Um, it's, it's why we're focusing a lot of energy on that. Second, and probably the most let's say the largest conversation will become UX by far. I mean, once you've solved scalability, there's absolutely nothing more impactful, more, um, let's say, capable of enabling you to speak the language of the average user, the simple user, the one that could really increase the market um, by orders of magnitude. But then I also think there's a third element, and then I'll boil down to, to the one uh, part. And this is legal obstacles. It very much depends on us, on how we, let's say, find ways to frame things in a way where this is not a war, where when a war, we don't need a war, right? Um, I, I believe a lot of energy um, has been lost during the last 10 years because of very, let's say, stupid framings, uh, where people fought words for, for just for the gist of it. I, I could be a maximalist, like destroy, I don't want the state, I don't want banks, I don't want anything. But if you really want to see the adoption, at the end of the day, it's can we offer something fundamentally better to the user? wherever he is in the world, then governments, um, then banks, then everyone else will need or will have to want the same. Mm -hmm. And this will be the, the end goal. So these are the three things that we'll probably see different uh, responses, iteration to. But if you would change one thing that can change everything, it's UX. If you abstract away complexity of private keys, public keys, if you can um, basically make defaults very simple, if you can um, create this idea of progressive security so that a user that has $1 or doesn't have anything should not go to uh, the security that one with $1 million has to go, then you're starting to 
see what the user really sees. So very, very um, curious to, to hear uh, Fabrice's thoughts on this, but I definitely say that UX will be the most critical challenge and the largest potential adoption multiplier. Very interesting. Abahis, tell us what you think. Yeah, I, I kind of uh, I kind of agree, and at the same time, it's it, it's not I'm not worried or, or scared about exactly this thing. Uh, but you'll see uh, how we are uh, definitely aligned uh, on this. UX is definitely important. Scalability is super important. Um, well, let's say performance. Once you have performance and UX, it's done. It's easy. You can onboard everyone, uh, and there is a very very easy path to get there. Just do you just do web two. Web two works. So my biggest, really my biggest fear is that on this path to go to web three, we just forget about the reason why we built it in the first place. So th th this is what scares me right now about web three because everyone is talking about it, but I would say the hardcore old gang people that were, you know, the maxes mm -hmm. uh, uh, of, of the past uh, are right in a way. Uh, if we if we forget about ownership, about self-sovereignty, about um, owning your data, well, if we forget about this, let's just use Web2. It's, it's, it has already solved all the problems we're, we're, we're talking about today. So yeah, my, my, my fear is that we just forget about this while we're transitioning to Web3. I'm hopeful. I mean, I, I hope and I, I'm convinced some people will will uh, will yell and, and cry and make a lot of noise if we go the, in the wrong direction. But I also believe it's fairly easy um, to fool ourselves and just, you know, get along with the new projects and new stuff without wondering if we are really solving something. So that, that's my biggest fear. But I, I'm I'm confident. So I'm re I remain hopeful. No, don't, don't fear that. One, one element that I believe... Um summarizes the the let's say symbiosis between um what what we um uh, both said is that at its best web3 will feel like web2 in interaction and will have the fundamental building blocks and uh, new optionalities of uh, like owning your data owning your assets doing all of that in a way that seems effortless if we can do this um this is actually the challenge uh, the users will always want this if it's simple enough if it's um, not simple enough it means we have to push a bit a few more iterations until we find the the great soft spot between like the goals values and and so forth and what the user can really bear and really um, pay for well, I guess that's the perfect way to end it. Uh, Benjamin, Fabrice, I mean, super inspiring conversation. Great to have you. And uh, yeah, we'll chat soon again. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, guys. Really great conversation. Thank you, Mo. That's it. A super interesting conversation with Benjamin Minku and Fabrice Dotria. If you're an e-gold holder, head over to Ledger Live right now, where you'll be able to manage your precious coins from within the security of your Ledger device. This was On The Ledger from Paris with your host Mol Sayed. Till next time, take care. Au revoir. This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment or tax advice. Do your own research. Any loss or profit is your sole responsibility.
Stay safe.